Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. And welcome to episode 250 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the second episode of November 2018 and our Daikaiju rediscussion for 1973's Godzilla vs. Megalon. Yeah, kind of a weird one for episode 250. Not a lot of fanfare for Megalon coming from me. We covered this way back in episode 30, March 2011. With Cindy, Martin, Jeff, and Tiger there. Tonight I'll be joined by Clancy, and we're going to talk about this gem. And since we're taking a sterner look at some of these movies this year, this episode will focus solely on Megalon. And as such, let's hear the main titles from Godzilla vs. Megalon before diving right into the discussion. Once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. As we wind down our list of movies to tackle again, we turn back to the 1970s, a very sad time for Japanese cinema that saw massive changes throughout the industry. As we've mentioned, like, so many times in the past, the 1960s was like the golden age of Japanese cinema, but with the introduction of television, the once mighty throngs of Japanese moviegoers were choosing to stay home and watch programming broadcasted directly into their washitsu. You can actually chart the decline of the Showa-era kaiju cinema with the rise in popularity of television. This meant that the Godzilla series was beginning to sell less and less tickets, seeing less and less of a profit, and Toho was desperate to stay afloat. They restructured their studio into Toho and Toho Ezo. That second company was set up to handle all the effects work and commercial work. And Toho Ezo is the company that technically produced this picture. 
Let's talk about who else made this picture. As always with Showa-era kaiju films, this was produced by Tomiyuki Tanaka, the man responsible for every single kaiju film from Toho until his death in 1998. There are way too many to name, but I will always mention that Tanaka loved Godzilla, and if it weren't for his efforts, the kaiju genre just would not be what it is today. The film was directed by Jun Fukuda, director of such classics as Ebira Horror of the Deep, Son of Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Gigan, Secret of the Telegion, and then he followed this up with Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Did you know he was also the assistant director for Rodan in 1956? The music for Godzilla vs. Megalon was scored by Richiro Manabe, who also scored Godzilla vs. Hedra. His theme for Godzilla is kind of the one that goes and goes all flat. The screenplay for this film is actually by Shinichi Sekizawa, who wrote Daikaiju Varan, Battle in Outer Space, Mothra, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Atragon, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Invasion of Astro Monster, Ebira Horror of the Deep, Son of Godzilla, Aegon the Atomic Dragon, All Monsters Attack, and Godzilla vs. Gigan. After Megalon, he would go on to write the screenplay for Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla in 1974. But in 1972, before this movie was made, uh, there were three early drafts, two of which were named Godzilla vs. the Megalon Brothers, The Undersea Kingdom's Annihilation Strategy, and Insect Monster Megalon vs. Godzilla, Submarine Kingdom Annihilation Strategy. But Megalon originally appeared in some earlier screenplays. Sekizawa had been trying to work Megalon in, I don't know if it was Sekizawa or Tanaka, or if it was Kaoru Mabuchi, one of the other screenwriters here. But you see, Tanaka told both Mabuchi and Sekizawa that he wanted to reinvigorate the Godzilla series with monsters both new, like Gigan and Megalon, and old, namely King Ghidra. Thus, the unmade film title, The Return of King Ghidra, was born. Sekizawa was developing that one, while Mabuchi was developing a screenplay called Godzilla vs. the Space Monsters. Both of those scripts introduce the name Megalon, but it really is just a name. We don't get much of a description of the monster at all. Special effects in this film were done by Teriyoshi Nakano. Nakano had worked under Eji Tsuburaya since 1959's Birth of Japan, and when Tsuburaya was too ill to work on set, Nakano assisted Saramasa Arakawa for the first few films until Arakawa actually left the studio, I think, in 1971. That's when Nakano was promoted. Mark your calendars, fanboys, because this is when the era of 1970s huge explosions begins. Nakano would be the chief special effects director at Toho throughout the 70s and into the 80s, making the best parts of Return of Godzilla in 1984 and also Princess from the Moon in 1987 until Koichi Kawakita took over the reins in 1989. I think that about rounds up the crew. Let's talk about the cast's familiar faces. And guess what? We're going to start with a gaijin. Robert Dunham plays the Cetopian leader, Antonio. Yes, apparently he has a first name. Perhaps you've seen him in 1961's Mothra as a concerned Relisican citizen or Mark Jackson in Dogura, the space monster. Dunham sounds like he would have been a lot of fun to have on the podcast, but unfortunately he passed away in 2001. Hiroyuki Kawase as Rokshan, the Kenny of this film. And I know that's negative, but we're talking about a character written for the kids to identify with. It had proven to be effective for Gamera, and Toho had a modicum of success with the strategy in both 1969 and 1971, so why not bring Kenny back? 
In fact, let's just use the same actor from Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster who literally played Kenny, a.k.a. Little Ken Yano, Class 4B, Tojo School. Sidebar, Kawase was also on the Japanese version of Sesame Street, Open Sesame, between his movie roles. Katsuhiku Sasuke plays Goro Ibuki. This was his first film in the Godzilla series, but he would go on to play Professor Yoshi in The Evil of Dracula, Yoshihama in The Prophecies of Nostradamus. I know those aren't Godzilla movies, but they're tokusatsu-related. Ichinose in Terror of Mechagodzilla, Saitek Takeda in Godzilla vs. Biollante, and Professor Mazaki in Godzilla vs. King Ghidra. Katsuhiko Sasuke is also the son of veteran actor Minoru Chiaki, who in addition to being one of Akira Kurosawa's players, was not interested in his son following in his footsteps and refused to help him. Because of that, Sasuke actually used his grandfather's name and established himself as a theatrical actor before moving into the Toho films. Since the early 2000s, Sasuke has apparently been doing quite a lot of voice acting in Japan. The only other familiar face I can mention from Godzilla vs. Megalon is Kotaro Tomita. Now, Tomita is one of those background actors that I even have trouble picking out in a lineup. In addition to being in Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster as a villager, he was also in Ultra Q in the Garadama episode, and he played Professor Nakatani in the 1966 Ultraman. After Megalon, he came back in Terror of Mechagodzilla to play Professor Ota. Aside from these actors, the only other lead character to even really talk about is Yutaka Hayashi playing Hiroyoshi Jinkawa, the car guy of the movie. The uncle? Brother? I can't keep it straight. Even though he never returns to the Godzilla franchise, he actually played Golden Bat the year before in Android Kikaida, and also had a number of other roles in film and television up until about 1984. Another familiar face would be stock footage from everything. Okay, not really, but Toho Kingdom says that footage was pulled from The Mysterians, which was made in 1957, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Gator the Three-Headed Monster, Astro Monster, Ebira Horror of the Deep, War of the Gargantuas, Destroy All Monsters, Godzilla vs. Hedra, and even the previous year's film, Godzilla vs. Gigan. Now, instead of, like, completing the film and realizing that they needed to pad the runtime or didn't have enough money to film certain scenes, Nakano actually planned to use this vast Toho library to sort of circumvent their limited abilities thanks to the budget. Like, I can totally imagine him reviewing the script against the footage of King Keter's lightning beams and telling himself, yep, that'll do. Seriously, though, like, as a hardcore fan, I know about the use and the reuse of stock footage from this and other films, but that's never something that really bugs me that much because there is so much more to be annoyed at in this film. But let's not talk about that now. Let's talk about making the monsters. This is the first movie in the Godzilla franchise since Haruo Nakajima quit being Godzilla after 1972's Godzilla vs. Gigan, and of course the death of Eiji Tsuburaya, which was really the root of the problem. It's just like Nakajima didn't have the drive to play Godzilla anymore after Tsuburaya passed away. So there's a brand new Godzilla for Godzilla vs. Megalon, and I think it's pretty obvious when you watch the movie that we are not seeing Nakajima perform in this costume. The actor's name is Shinji Takagi, who apparently nobody knows anything about. He was like one and done. Like, sure, I'll play Godzilla. Hell no, I will not be back to play Godzilla. Gigan was played by Kempachiro Satsuma, whose kaiju debut was Hedera in 1971, followed by Gigan in the previous film, and of course, Gigan here. 
He goes on to play Godzilla from 1989 to 1995. Jet Jaguar was played by Sugutoshi Komada, and I don't know anything about him, but I'm hoping that somebody who sees him at one of these conventions coming up will actually record like some audio from the panel where he gets interviewed and we can hear his story because I don't know it at all. Anyway, he has made a couple of appearances at conventions here in the U.S., and I am hoping to catch him at one in the future. Now, Godzilla and Gigan, we've already talked about their suit origins, but Jet Jaguar was originally supposed to have been designed by a small child named Masaki Sano, who was the winner of a kaiju design contest in a 1970s kids program called Katsura Kukinji's Afternoon Show. In this program, Sano's kaiju was the winning design in a contest, and it was named Red Aron, and they actually built the suit and brought it on stage. But when Red Aron walked onto the set, Sano was apparently not keen on whatever changes were made to this design. The character actually went through more revisions until Akihiku Iguchi came up with the final Jet Jaguar design. As a sidebar, Red Aron, that suit that they made, apparently looked like Jet Jaguar mostly in the body, but he had wings and sort of a rope, uh, some like a bird head. And may, I think even the original design from the kid, Red Aron had like feathers and stuff. I think I actually have a picture of Red Aron, the suit that they brought out. If I can find that, I will post it in the show notes. So make sure you check that out if you're interested in Proto-Jet Jaguar. Finally, let's talk about Megalon, who was played by Hideto Odachi, another one-and-done kaiju actor. Megalon was also designed by Akihiku Iguchi. According to Teriyoshi Nakano, Megalon's design is kind of like an amalgam of different insectoid body parts. Nakano told Steve Rifle that the face was like a Japanese rhinoceros beetle, otherwise known as Kabutomushi. The body is like a cicada, and the movement is like a grasshopper, which is, I guess, why Megalon is doing that crazy hop thing in the middle of the movie. Nakano originally wanted him to be based on a dragonfly, which makes sense because some of the original treatments involving Megalon talk about him being a flying kaiju, not, you know, not a hopping monster. Godzilla vs. Megalon was released to theaters in Japan on March 17th, 1973 as part of the Champion Matsuri Film Festival, along with a live-action soccer movie called Fly Out Youth, a.k.a. Tobidase Seishun, an animated Pandago Panda film, and an animated Jungle Kurobe episode. This presentation, however, only sold 980,000 tickets, making Godzilla vs. Megalon, and subsequently, two years later, Terror of Mechagodzilla, the two lowest-selling Godzilla films in Japan. However, this movie was brought to the United States by CinemaShares in 1976, who had a working relationship with Hank Saperstein of United Productions of America when they released Monster Zero and War of the Gargantuas in 1970 as Marin Films. To jog your memory, Saperstein's UPA was the U.S.-based company that brokered theatrical distribution of Toho's films I think from like 1964 until basically Saperstein's death in 1998. One of the things that I kind of like collecting about these American releases of these kaiju films are the press sheets. Press sheets uh, have all sorts of information about things you can no longer order. They had all these sort of like exploitation tactics that they would suggest to theater owners to get people into these movies. I've talked a little bit about these in the past, like during presentations and some of the commentaries. 
But for this particular movie, I don't have the press book. But thanks to Steve and Stuart, we get to hear a little bit about all of the cool stuff that Megalon had going on for it here in the States, thanks to Mel Marin from Marin Film slash Cinema Shares, who was part of the commentary that they did. It's really cool to hear him talk about it. But I just want to mention a couple things real quick, because I know they put a whole bunch of gimmicks and stunts into the promotion of this film. And apparently it made a lot of money for both Cinema Shares and Toho. They produced a Godzilla vs. Megalon comic, which is completely baffling. If you have it, it's awesome. I'll post the link in the show notes so you can see what it's like. It's just like a two-pager, I think, but it's uh, it, it calls, I think, Gigan as Borodan, and it's just, like, weird. Uh, they also had buttons that they released. Anyway, sounds like a magical time to be a moviegoer, but uh, I digress. There will be a link in the show notes, of course, to the commentary. If that kind of crazy promotion for this weird film wasn't enough, at 9 p.m. on March 15th, 1977... Godzilla vs. Megalon was broadcast on NBC here in the United States. The movie was hosted by comic actor John Belushi from Saturday Night Live in the same Godzilla costume created for Saturday Night Live. The movie was cut down to 48 minutes to accommodate the commercials and John Belushi's bits. I have never seen this. I've seen one picture that I don't even know how that was made. It might even be photoshopped. Regardless... If someone has a video copy of this somewhere, it needs to get put up on YouTube. As reluctant as I am to watch this film in general, I would be ecstatic to have a copy of the actual broadcast where they show the whole thing in an hour. Plus, who wouldn't want to see awesome 1977 commercials? Somebody's got to have it out there. Spread the word. Now, because the whole thing was like played up for comedy, you would think that that would not have helped Godzilla's public image here in the United States. But actually, while people may have been laughing at it, many think that this broadcast, because it was basically nationwide, was the kickoff to a whole new generation of Godzilla fans and created the Godzilla boom of the late 70s here in the U.S. The Shogun Warriors thank you, Megalon. Now, Let's fast forward to January 19th, 1991, where the popular comedy program Mystery Science Theater 3000 broadcasted an episode of their show where Joel and the bots were subjected to Godzilla vs. Megalon as part of Dr. Forrester's evil experiment. MST3K did this, I mean, I think, assuming the film had fallen into public domain, along with Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster for the following month's broadcast. I'm sure the listeners won't be surprised by this, but Toho demanded that they pull that movie off the DVD set that it came on. Well, your film this week, Joel, burns deep. In the fine tradition of Kramer versus Kramer, Ali versus Norton, Kasparov versus Karpov, it's Megalon versus Godzilla. It'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry, and maybe, just maybe, teach you a little something about yourself. And kids, don't forget to read Godzilla versus the Velveteen Rabbit. within the uncharted depths of waters surrounding a group of islands off the 50th parallel lies man's most formidable challenge. 
the awesome awakening of prehistoric monsters long thought extinct. Science was baffled and powerless. The terror-stricken humanity knew that it was on the brink of total destruction. The once proud civilization now had to place its trust and hope in Godzilla and his powerful ally, Robot Man. In concert, they would fight this evil in a duel to the death. Battling by day, battling by night, it was more than a race against time. This war was an all-out effort whose ultimate purpose was to save our planet from total destruction. Now came the moment of truth. The ultimate battle. Giant against giant in the most spectacular battle yet. To see it all in Godzilla versus Megalon. Clancy, Clancy, Clancy. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's just you and me tonight, buddy. <laughs> We are going to be talking about Godzilla versus Megalon, and uh, you know we'll do the same thing. Hey, Hachi, what's up, man? Hey. Yes, you want to jump on Mike and talk about this movie? You didn't watch it with us, anyway. <laughs> Clancy, how many times do you think you've seen Godzilla versus Megalon? Um, let's see. I'd say maybe not more than ten times. But, okay, but. I've definitely watched it less than every other film from the era. Okay. Okay. So I think it's, this is another one of those movies that people should not be surprised that it's in my, t- my, my best of the worst. I don't know. My <laughs> lower tier of the Godzilla rankings. Not like I've ever really done that from start to finish, but. What I will say before we even really get started is that uh, if you like any of the information that you hear in this podcast episode and are interested in learning more about Godzilla versus Megalon, please check out the commentary, the guest commentary, I should say, of Steve Rifle and Stuart Galbraith talking about Godzilla versus Megalon. And that is available on commentaries.kaijucast.com. And uh, I've seen this film maybe... I don't know, probably about 20 times overall. I mean, even for something that I don't really care for, I have watched it quite a lot. It does have a lot of entertainment inside of it, but I feel like I have to unpack other things in order to, you know, to enjoy those bits, really. Where does this film sit for you in the Godzilla pantheon? It's not at the bottom of the list, but at the same time, as someone that I, I, I really do actually enjoy the seventies films. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this is definitely one of those ones where, so let's just go ahead and say, if I'm going to rank the seventies films, this is the bottom of the list for that. Okay. Uh, and even watching it again tonight, I'm watching it going, the things I do enjoy about this are definitely similar to the reasons why I enjoy Geigen so much, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I like, what Geigen does the film, um, not the Kaiju, uh, so much better. 
Yeah. So yeah, I can definitely get behind that, right? So yeah, it it is definitely one that I still like to revisit, and I still um very much enjoy the parts that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm just gonna go with that. Where it's okay. like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's leave it in the '70s and just say, not my favorite film from the '70s. Understandable. Yeah, it, I mean, this for a long time was you know definitely one of my least favorite Godzilla films. It's still kind of is but now that i know more about it i like it a little bit more that usually is what happens to these films yeah and then oh, i yeah, i yeah. learn everything about everything <laughs> and then then everything will be back to normal where i'm like ooh that's my least favorite film that i know everything about but <laughs> yeah <laughs> just kidding no how could you ever know anything and know everything about these movies but godzilla versus megalon is one that i know a lot of people really love the reason for that, I'm guessing, is because, A, it had a pretty broad release in America. In a sense, Godzilla vs. Megalon actually had, like, a tour as it, like, cruised across America. And they had, like, parades for it. And the uh, it had a, a showing on NBC primetime at some point that was yeah. hosted by John Belushi. First up, I never saw any of that. I never saw the movie in the theater. I don't have any nostalgic connection to this film. So you actually mean literal parades? I mean literal parades. Like walking down the main street, Godzilla parades. I don't know how, I don't know if I would call it a Godzilla parade. <laughs> but you know, the, there are these gimmicks that these theaters would would dive into oh, yeah, for yeah, these yeah. movies. And one of these things was to put like a giant cutout of these monsters on the side of a car. Yeah, yeah. And drive that through. I mean, I'm assuming along with a parade, <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, I don't know how many cities actually did that. And, uh, I don't know how successful those campaigns would have been for that movie, but basically I think the company that brought it to America did well with it because they probably didn't pay that much money for it yeah. at the time. And then for it to complete its run and then get shown on TV in prime time. That's a crazy amount of permutation. Yeah. Right. And I have to say, just because this is an audio presentation, when you were describing a Megalon parade, I had a moment where I kind of looked off to the right <laughs> and I stopped listening to you because I was just imagining the parade thinking how amazing that would be. <laughs> yeah. It would be pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> Have you ever seen those uh, those publicity photos from the 60s where they had, like, ultra monsters, like, going to department stores and oh, yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, There's yeah, a couple definitely. with Godzilla, yeah. too. But uh, I've seen, I think, the most amount of monsters that I've seen together in one of those things from the 60s has been from Ultraman Monsters. And it does look like it could very well be a parade. Yes. Oh. Oh, to be alive in Japan <laughs> in the 60s <laughs> uh, and to be able to see Godzilla versus Megalon as part of the Champion Matsuri Film Festival, which, uh, man, listeners are probably sick of hearing me say that term, <laughs> Champion Matsuri. But yeah, so this is another one of those films yeah. made in that time for the specific release of this kids film festival that was put on by Toho, which was direct competition with Toei's anime film festival. Anyway, uh, I don't, let's see, where would we go from this Clancy? I would basically ask you 
what is your favorite part about Godzilla versus Megalon? Um, I think my favorite uh, thing about this film is very much some of the, again, like I had mentioned earlier, the reasons why I love Gigan. Um, the human story is not my favorite part of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it isn't bad, but it isn't extremely engaging. Um, what I do love about this one, and we kind of talked about it when we were watching the film, you were talking about wrestling fans and, um, I at least grew up being a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. And while I don't want every Godzilla film to be that, I do love that there are a couple films that are like that. I think Geigen does it better. Yeah. Uh, but, and it's like, I'd, I'd rather see the tag team partner be Angelus and, um, but I, I think it works here as well, um, for doing that, that kind of thing where you're just like, bunch of you know tag team match two on two uh kaiju battling it out yeah that's like two movies in a row yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think about it like that yeah that's interesting the tag team match and, and then just, that kind of gets destroyed a little bit in the next film but you get it it's it's like a i don't know what you would call that in wrestling terms where you have two people fighting against one person but one person is power, you know it takes two people to to beat one person. What yeah, is, yeah. Is there a wrestling term for that? There probably is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now you're going to call me out on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The pressure's <laughs> on. Um, no, I'm kidding. Someone out there will yell it to their, yeah, yeah, yeah. their podcast right now. But but I find it I find it to be really fun. And it is one of those elements of these kind of films where I sit there and go, I can stop and say, I can imagine – because this this isn't one that I watched when I was a kid, but it still brings out that thing where you go, oh, this would be so fun for kids to watch. Oh, absolutely. And, it, and, yes. it, and as an adult, I can put myself at least somewhat in that position and go, it is still fun to watch that. At the same time, some of that stuff, you know, I, I don't want to say it's a negative to the film, but mm-hmm. – when I kind of think about everything else that's going on, it's kind of lacking when it comes to, again, any kind of story that's connected to that. Why are they <laughs> fighting the alien story, even though there's some interesting things that come out in that? Um, and we can talk about that a little more uh, outside of this. But but definitely that moment where they finally put the monsters on the screen mm-hmm. is when I really do get engaged with this film. Yeah. I think that this movie has the like the the monster stuff is well, I don't want to say the monster stuff is great because man, oh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that's not great about it, but the, there's some shining moments of the monster action. I'm positive I mentioned it in the last Daikaiju discussion uh and that would be the damn scene. That damn scene is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and which again we we mentioned as we were watching the film, it is to me, I would say that is the highlight. Um, unfortunately, in this era of films, they were using a massive amount of stock footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of it is the fact that you're like, this is the little nugget that we're getting that is new. Um, but to me, it's like even in a film that was shot during an era where they were spending less money on the films mm-hmm. – an era where the movies, and I do believe this film actually made the least amount 
again, that's probably like a Wikipedia fact or something like that. It's but, down but it, there for it, sure. It, it, yeah, it did bottom not five, do as five. well as everything that came before it. Um, the model work in that damn scene is spectacular. It is damn spectacular. <laughs> You're right, sir. Um, yeah, and it's definitely the that is another highlight to the film for me. Yeah. So yeah. I think uh for me, my favorite part of the film, it it has to be the damn scene. I mean, because I could not really find that much to really love about the Godzilla versus Megalon versus Jet Jaguar yeah, versus yeah. Gigan battles. Because I felt like they definitely were lacking compared to previous films. Makes a lot of sense. I think they spent less money on this one than any of the other films. But basically, Megalon just can't... (laughs) uh, Megalon can't get up out of the muck (laughs) that (laughs) the the smog monster put on, on the Godzilla series in 1971. I just... To me, like out of the 70s films... This one just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. I really wish it did. But uh but yeah, that that scene at the dam, very, very good. Right after Megalon shows up, but but not until I mean, really, he has to already be on screen because you remember when he shows up, he literally just <laughs> yeah. stands up behind the hill. Nah, okay. Teriyoshi Nakano, do you guys did a great job on that scene? I would question the rest of it. What about the least favorite aspect of this movie? Well, I, I won't go for the easy things about, you know, lack of budget. So there's mm-hmm. things that I definitely don't enjoy that come with that. But what I would say for things that had potential, and I'm a little disappointed in when I watched this film, um, Jet Jaguar, and I, I, I know there's probably a ton, and I do like Jet Jaguar a lot. Um, but I think it could have, for me, it could have been even cooler. So the one thing that I do find, even on this viewing, um, the fact that he's not like a, when you look at like the, the scent, like Ultraman, mm-hmm. it's actually a human being that is in a suit becoming this superhero character. Jet Jaguar really doesn't have any personality because He's just essentially a, He's a cyborg, robot. a ro- yeah, robot. Yeah. And it connects directly to what I was saying about what I enjoy, which is the tag team wrestling aspect of the film where these two, you know, kaiju brothers are getting together and beating up the bad guys is that when you watch something like Geigen where it's Angulus and uh, Godzilla yeah. kind of going after the other guys. The stakes are higher. Exactly. And yeah, they're yeah. friends and they have a connection. And again, I understand these are just silly 70s monster movies, but what? <laughs> <laughs> but when, yeah, it, it, when that, it's just a yeah. robot and high fi it doesn't mean as much to me. And I think if you would have had a story where it was a character that became like a giant superhero, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that little friendship connection would have been just as, enough to make it better than what it actually is so it really should have been ultraman yeah, well 
Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Toho, I'm sure that's what they're saying, yeah, too. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that. I would uh, I would love to have like just a straight-up... Ultimate crossovers. Yeah, crossover episode with film with Ultraman and Godzilla. But, but yeah, for me, um, I would have liked the story to go in that route versus a hairy dude with a toga <laughs> and where it makes even more sense. Again, it makes more sense on paper, the story than it does as it's, it's presented in the film where you just kind of cut to these, uh, the Cetopians. Yeah. Cetopians yeah. where you're just like, how it doesn't, it doesn't work. Okay. Let me tell you what I also agree with here. I don't think that Cetopia works as a super villain type yeah. of bad guy. Uh, I know Cetopia is a land, not a guy, but just I'm talking about the entirety of Cetopia, right? It's never really ominously presented to to me, right? As a mu- as a movie viewer, yeah, yeah. I don't look at Cetopia and think like, oh, I'm scared of them. They don't sound scary at all. They, you know, if they don't have Megalon, what do they have, right? Like the Mu Empire from Atragon not only had their giant dragon, Manda, they also had ships that flew (laughs) and frogmen that were steaming. Steaming, Clancy! (laughs) But yeah, the you know, this movie just is lacking, you know, and I'm sorry that it's lacking, but can't be helped. Shogunai. You know, that's a phrase that I've heard a lot in Japanese films, Shogunai, and it means it can't be helped. And that means that you can't help that this movie had... A crappy budget, you know, and it turned it into a crappy movie. You know, the commentary, I'm going to say it again. People should listen to that commentary. I will fully put a link in the show notes to this because it's worth listening to. It's worth hearing the stories about this film. My least favorite aspect mm. of Godzilla vs. Megalon has to be the soundtrack. Richiro Manabe's soundtrack from like Smog Monster is like he hit it out of the park compared to this one. Yeah. I I was listening to it a lot more on this viewing and because we were watching the Japanese cut. I don't know how much editing was done for the American version of this movie off the top of my head, but the Japanese cut, like I was really hearing the music as well. And it's just completely scattered. Incoherent is a word that somebody who reviews music would probably not use, but <laughs> I'm going to try it anyway. But yeah, I just... It's kind of messy, yeah. and it sounds like uh, Rachiro Manabe might have been uh, experimenting with something up in his bedroom and <laughs> recording it, and is like, "Yeah, that's the soundtrack, man." Well, and I and I actually, I actually, I really do enjoy the Hedora um, soundtrack. Yeah, and for that one, it to me, it makes the. It, I mean, it isn't the best part of the film, but it makes the film as a good soundtrack should, if, mm-hmm. if you're in agreement with me that it's a good soundtrack, but, <laughs> um, I've grown to love the Hedra soundtrack. It's true. And and you can point to it and just say this, you know, this is the soundtrack for that film. Whereas this one almost seems like an afterthought mm-hmm. to me. It doesn't really, nothing ever really stands out. It just seems like there's music that starts playing at certain points. And actually the, the one point where I actually started paying attention to it more it wasn't even a song from 
it was a theme from another film. So it was like, <laughs> it's another stop. And I went, well, wait a minute. Now they're actually asset. playing something yes. that from something that I enjoy. So it, it is definitely not my favorite of uh favorite score from these films. So were you ever surprised to find out that people, there are people out there that like absolutely love this film because it's, it wasn't surprising to me, but it's, it's like almost, I don't want to like paint a picture where I'm like, well, I can peg somebody who was, you know, who's going to yeah. love this film. Like they have to meet some criteria. I, I don't want to make it sound like that, but it's almost like you had to have been there, yeah. you know? No, it's not, it's not surprising to me, but I think, Maybe it is one of those things. I can see anybody that watched this when they were a kid loving it. Yes. And I was actually going to say, as I'm thinking about the film, as we're talking, even the things that I don't like about it, like, as I say, like Jet Jaguar is a not a human and really, I still love that design and mm -hmm. I still love the idea of it. And I love that there's a character like this in a Godzilla film, I just don't think it worked as well as it could have, but that doesn't mean as awesome. Exactly. As and it, but that been. doesn't mean I don't have jet Jaguar in my collection. It doesn't mean that I don't, I think the colors of it are amazing. I think there are things about this movie. Like this is so seventies. Like I, and I get that all the seventies Godzilla <laughs> movies are quote unquote. So seventies, so yes. but those things to me are cool. So I can see why people are, could be like crazy about this movie. Um, but if I'm going to actually get analytical about it, you're going to, it's just not my favorite. Sure. Um, no, we, I but mean, I could see how it, uh, would we want to get told, analytical I, about Godzilla <laughs> versus Megalon? Truth be told, I don't, I, I, I guess I would have struggled to say, how do you like this more than say Geigen? Right. But I, I could at least see someone having, a love for plenty yeah. of elements of this film. Yeah, like there's like nuggets, nuggets of goodness in it. But uh, you know, the baby rider thing. But that's just kind of <laughs> cool, right? Like it's not something that I I take seriously. And that maybe that's the deal is that I just can't take Megalon seriously as a as a film. Yeah. The baby rider thing is a great example. The dolphin thing at the beginning is another pretty good example. Like. Is that something anybody would expect to have in their yeah. at at their reach? Well, and even but even with those characters where it's like you have the science family with their geology room, you know, their ge <laughs> geology lab, like that's a cool idea. Yeah. But it kind of disappears as soon as the monsters show up and nothing really is glued together and yeah. To me. Well, so just, in that commentary, you know, uh, yeah. the, one of the things that they said is that somehow Megalon was it spent a long time in development hell. But when it was time to get moving on it, the treatment for it was so rushed that they didn't have a finished script. Uh, and so June Fukuda ended up uh, working directly with the actors, I think it was, and like finishing the script himself or something. But essentially you're looking at a let's make it fast kind of situation. Yeah. And I think that is just where you're going to get those problems. You don't have somebody going, wait a second. <laughs> we never brought back the red dust. You know, <laughs> yeah. could somebody remake this better in the spirit of using mass amounts of stock footage as this film does? I suppose someone could just make a movie and use nothing but stock footage from, <laughs> Megalon, and then you could have 
someone using stock footage of stock footage from Megalon and oh man, <laughs> you could do you could pull a Godzilla King of the Monsters with yeah. Megalon, Megalon brother of the Beatles. <laughs> I think we're on to something, Clancy. I think somebody's going to be calling us and pitching an idea. I don't know, but uh, we'll we'll definitely I'll bring you in. I'll rope you in for whatever movie talks we get for this <laughs> Megalon spinoff. I will say I did like that they um, have this kaiju Megalon. Uh, I, I again I'm, I'm going to keep going back to Gigan. I think just because they're back to back films, I think Gigan is so much cooler. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, he shows up in this film, and um, but. Just meaning with the fact that he's got his awesome banana claws and uh, Megalon obviously has similar appendages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did enjoy like the whole connection to bugs and his color scheme. It was almost to me like almost like an 80s hair metal band when you're actually looking at the <laughs> colors that they have going on on his wings. Stripe. But the yellows and it's the oranges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. influence for sure. Um, and again – where we talk about these films where they keep bringing back the same characters over and over again. It's, it's always fun to me when they at least try something new in the Godzilla series. Um, it's, he's not Megalon is not in any way my favorite, Mm -hmm. um, Kaiju at all, but again, you know, it's just, it's nice that he's out there. Sure. We'll give the award for, uh, trying the hardest to come up with new monsters, in the 70s <laughs> we'll give that award to this movie one thing too i will um bring up now that we're talking about you just mentioned the 70s so i'll segue into this when we were watching it i kind of asked you about um when the movie came out and i thought it was earlier 70s um but one of the things that i think is fun about this is that poster art that oh, seems yeah, where to they're, they're on the World Trade Center. Yeah, be ripping off. Um, I mean, I imagine it came after uh, Godzilla or Godzilla came after King Kong 76 with the Twin Towers coming into play. And that was what they were kind of working from. So that was when I was asking you, did this come out in 76 in America? But yeah. I, I, I love that poster. I, I mean, I w- yeah, so Cinema Share has produced that in 76. I just love that poster yeah. art that has nothing to do with it's crazy, the actual right? film. When did Kong come out? That, that's, the, that's the easier question, right? That, I believe, is 76. I'm wondering how early the images yeah. of him on top of the World Trade Center started appearing. Yeah. Because they they probably were pimping that way before the movie was done yeah anyway yes completely ripping off kong and who whoever came first i think one of that kong poster and that kong imagery is one of my favorites and i just love the connection that i'm just i think it's great it is pretty great okay so megalon's poster actually everything about the american release everything about the what they put out here has a really long, crazy history. They go into it on the commentary as well. And they have the guy from Cinema Shares on the commentary talking about the release, which is really cool as well. Ah, such good, such a good commentary. 
way better than the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And so weird the way that it was released, right? Because, you know, that that originally was supposed to be released on Blu-ray and DVD, along with Destroy All Monsters from Tokyo Shock from Media Blasters. And then what ended up happening was Media Blasters put out the DVD and it had all these special features, which were not approved by Toho. Same thing goes for the uh, Destroy All Monsters Blu-ray, which I did get the Blu-ray of that, but I did not get the DVD of Megalon that has all those special features. Yeah. I have the commentary, and that's uh, that's the one I'm I'm super happy about. You know, if somebody wanted to send me one, I wouldn't be upset about it. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyway... The uh, it's weird because they released it, and then when Toho found out about it, they ordered. Uh, I think they actually ordered them to pull them from the shelves and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. I mean, I, I and I would. There's no way I would know what their mindset is with things like that. I know they have that thing where a lot of the times you have to have a script that's approved, and it's just yeah. I don't get it, but at the same time, that that's a different. I mean, it's a whole different country. Sure, yeah. Their their requirements are very strict. Yeah. Like, the scripted commentaries, that's a bummer, right? And then, like, because if you listen to the commentary, again, on (laughs) commentaries.kaijucast.com, if you listen to the commentary, you you get to hear Stuart and Steve having a conversation. Yeah. And I think it's based on, you know, bullet points, and it's not heavily scripted. Yeah. Very, very different than something like Terror of Mechagodzilla. And honestly, that's one of those things that I wish Toho would ease up on. And another thing that they definitely do is they charge people for photos. They charge people uh, for video, I think. You're only allowed to use a certain amount of footage. It's really kind of crazy. But basically... Working with Toho is a is a pain is the is what we've heard essentially, and so that is I'm sure why Media Blasters was just like better to ask forgiveness than permission, right? <laughs> Not with Toho, yeah. <laughs> you well, know? yeah, and it is, yeah. You kind of are we going to get away with it? Well, they obviously did not. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's too bad. But at the, I mean, at the same time, that that kind of thing is not. It's not unique to Toho. Unfortunately, there's a lot of companies that are that way. They just don't really see the, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's what, you know, what's weird to me is that with Godzilla stuff specifically, actually, I'm just going to say with Tokusatsu stuff, sometimes I feel like you get a company who understands the genre, understands what they're putting out and puts the time and effort yeah. into that stuff. But then with these bigger properties, Godzilla, I'm specifically talking about, you get companies who put in the bare minimum of effort. Like Sony probably is patting themselves on the back for releasing all of the movies on Blu-ray alone. Just like there might be some special features on those, but they're not very much. Right. And yeah, that's fine. You know, and that's. That's what we have to accept as Godzilla fans. And, you know, that sounds kind of whiny on my part. But, you know, this is this is what it's been like, man, forever. <laughs> like ever since DVDs came out, the very first movies that, that came out, King Ghidra, Godzilla versus King Ghidra was pan and scan and horribly dubbed and just ugh. all of those movies did not get treated very well. 
The movie's kind of destroyed all monsters. No chapter stops. You literally just put the disc in your <laughs> in your player, and it's just the movie. No chapter stops. So, <sighs> well, that's a tough thing too, because it's like I can understand brand integrity, and I can understand wanting control, mm-hmm. um, and especially if you're a, a film for a foreign country where it would take quite a bit of work for you actually to real, you know do that process of figuring out what people are actually doing to add to your film. But then when you sit there and go, well, what you're actually letting them put out is kind of crummy quality. Yeah. Um, It's just a shame, but you know, it's a fight that keeps getting fought. Yeah. What I would hope is that they can understand their market, really understand their market, right? And and look at a company like we we're all talking about Criterion, and we hope that they're going to be doing something with these Godzilla movies. And we're, I think, because Toho has a relationship with Criterion, I would expect them to be like, you know what, you did such a great job with the Kurosawa stuff. Yeah. Why don't we throw you all of the extra bones that we yeah. have? Right. That's what I. Oh man, why is that not a thing? Somebody just going there and striking up a deal with them where they're like, "Can we just have access to everything you have? Pay a flat fee." Yeah, and one I know. I've seen I've seen plenty of those uh you know, quote unquote things that would be for extra features and there's some amazing stuff out there just like behind this from all the films from mm-hmm. the show era to up until present day and it's just like you know, oh, the things they could do and just add that. And I, I, again, I know that's for like mega fans and nerds, but that, I mean, that is exactly what criterion. Yeah. A criterion package should be. Yeah. You know, it's funny because Toho, I'm going to smack talk them a little bit. Sorry guys, but basically they put out this sort of air of, we really care about the Godzilla franchise and we want to do like this. We want to do cool stuff with the franchise and, they're putting this vibe out that makes it sound like they want to expand Godzilla's horizons and, you know, do all this new stuff. But when it comes down to it, they're they're not moving very fast. Like the Godzilla store is a good example of this. How freaking long did it take them to come out with a Godzilla store in Tokyo? <laughs> like 2015, 16, something like that. Like they could have had that up and running long time. Like, Ultraman has had stores for decades, yeah. you know? So this is the kind of thing that I'm like, oh, they're finally getting to the program. They're just very late when it comes to this stuff. And their mindset about some of these relationships that they either get into or won't get into, I guess that's the real problem I have is when they there's like something cool that could happen and they won't do it. You know, like specifically... Let's talk about this Tokyo Shock Media Blasters stuff. If they had come to Toho and said, hey, this is what we want to release, and Toho had uh, proved it, everyone would have these amazing quality Blu-rays and DVDs with all of these cool extra features. Yeah. But because Toho is like, I don't know if it's like, I don't want to call them greedy. But man, when you when you take something like this to heart, like they're they're basically refusing to let a company like that. Now, keep in mind, I understand that there's probably a little bit of a hand smacking 
activity going on here with Toho. Like, not only are you in trouble, Tokyo Shock Media Blasters, for doing what you did, we're going to make you pull everything off the shelves. Like, you have to pull everything off the shelves to get rid of it, to destroy what you've done, and then you have to re-put out the right thing, which in this case is nothing. So it's like, it almost sounds like punishment, but they're really punishing us, the fans, and it bugs me that they do that kind of stuff, you know? Like, please let the stuff with Criterion, like, be what we could always dream these things would be. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I mean, their Godzilla release was really great, I thought. Yeah, I I love it. It the Commentaries that were on there, and there was definitely a decent amount of features, and it's just, it's one of those things where I don't, I don't really need Criterion to validate these films right for my own sake but there is still some like as an example criterion just did george romero's night of the living dead for the 50th anniversary last year and that is a film that had a ton of problems with the whole thing with the copyright being removed from the title screen back in 1968. So it went into public domain or at least. Oh, right. Yeah. But, but it's one of those things where as a fan of that film, um, watching Criterion finally put that out and give it that kind of treatment and say, yes, this film belongs in the quote unquote, Criterion collection. Yeah. Along with some totally all these films that are a, Although, as I'm saying this, I'm just thinking I'm pretty sure like The Rock, which I have fun with, but and <laughs> Armageddon are in there. So let's. People like different stuff. It's not Clancy. perfect. That's it's not like, perfect. But but uh, anyway. Tastes are, are uh, a broad spectrum. <laughs> but it was cool. I mean, it's just cool that unfortunately George Romero passed before that all happened. Mm. But um, but it was just good to see. And I, was, I, and I can't wait to at least see something happened with the Godzilla films and just see how it kind of rolls out because sometimes that's how people have to find these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, I always subscribe to that fact of we're doing fine without you. Like, <laughs> we don't need you to be part of the fandom. We have a bunch of awesome people that already like it, mm-hmm. but that's also a little unfair to say some, sometimes you just don't know about it. So it's cool to think that the Criterion Collection will put out some of these classic Godzilla films, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, a bunch of film nerds that are on that brand will see that these films exist and they'll experience them. Yeah. So, by the way, speaking of, uh, I just fired up Godzilla vs. Megalon on the Criterion channel on Filmstruck, and uh, I believe. No, I've already passed the dialogue. I didn't see any subtitles come up, so I believe they have the dub of this. We were talking about that earlier. What do they have? Yeah. And what do they have subtitled versus dubbed versus et cetera, et cetera. Or even just the scan, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I will definitely echo all of your sentiments and say I'm really happy that the, you know, the criterion at least has these. You know, I've been subscribing to the Filmstruck channel, which is going away at the end of this month. And I've been watching as much of it as I can in the time that I have left. And basically, 
Godzilla versus, well, all of the Godzilla stuff that they have. Firing that, you know, pressing play on one of those and seeing the Criterion logo and the Janus logo come up before Toho's logo comes up and then the Godzilla titles come up. Oh, man, it's really, really cool to see. And they have so many items, so many movies from this series. Uh, Like if I search Godzilla, I know we're going off on a tangent here, (laughs) but they have the first one, Godzilla. They have Godzilla Raids again. They have Godzilla, Mothra versus Godzilla. That's uh, Son of Godzilla, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, Godzilla versus Megalon. Uh, they have War of the Gargantuas. They have Rodan. I mean, they have a really strong collection of movies. Terror of Mechagodzilla is in there as well. Uh, yeah, so they have a ton of stuff, and I want them to do amazing things with these. I want, I want to see the price tag of the Criterion. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The Criterion price tag, and see what they're putting on it, and go, okay. I agree that should be that much money. Well, I mean, even even speaking inside of because I was talking about people approaching these films that haven't seen them, even within like the quote unquote fandom where it's like I see a lot of people trashing on Godzilla raids again, where it's like I think a Criterion release of that with the actual Japanese cut of the film would probably elevate that because that is one that I that I don't I don't believe that that's fair when people just say that's like the worst. And mm. I, again it's only some folk sure, folks sure. but uh but yeah those I think when you actually put together a package like that and a, that is specifically for highlighting a film and well that's what they excel at. Yeah, exactly. That's I mean absolutely I mean, when I think, I mean, you like you said, they have some weird ones in there, but like I can think of a lot of movies that Criterion has put out that definitely either match what it, that movie, sh- like how the yeah. level that movie should be at or elevate that film. And I think with some of the films like Megalon with Godzilla Raids again with, you know, you're going to see that elevation, but with other films like I'm just going to say all monsters attack, a.k.a. Godzilla's Revenge. They're going to put that out, and I think a lot more people are going to see that film for being the good film that it actually is instead of just dismissing it because it's Minya and a a stupid kids movie. Yeah. Because it shouldn't be that way. No. Anyway, speaking of and getting back to Megalon, stupid kids, (laughs) uh, one of the things they say in that commentary is that no one's heard from the kid actor in that movie forever and uh what i will say eh, if i can reach it is in this nope that's the wrong one it's this one i've got too many godzilla books clancy (laughs) this is a champion matsuri book and in this book this is from japan that's all in japanese of course but hey look man this is what we're talking about earlier they've got pictures of props like Flying jet to Jaguar and Geigen's buzzsaw, right? (laughs) Mm, Good stuff. Anyway, so uh, in this book, they have interviews with people. And in this uh, book, they definitely have an interview with the kid from Smog Monster and Megalon. Nice. Watch me say that and then be like, oh, no, it's the kid from Godzilla's Revenge. (laughs) And I'm just totally wrong. 
Nope, that's him. There he is. See, he looks like he turned out to be a normal Japanese man. Exactly. He was not traumatized by giant monsters destroying his city. Hiroyuki Kawase. Or Kawase. I've been trying really hard uh, to learn how to say their names, right? You know, when this whole project began. Like, if you yeah. listen to the old episodes, oh, my gosh. I say the oh, I say the names wrong, but with confidence. <laughs> so Well, and you'll notice that I just don't say them. Yeah. <laughs> I let you say them. <laughs> you, leave that, you leave that up to me. Uh, anyway, what else, what else do we want to talk about here about Godzilla versus Megalon Clancy? Would you show this to a kaiju newbie? Um, it wouldn't be my first choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've already mentioned it before. I would go with something like Gigan before this, if I was going to show it for the reasons I would show it, but it's still fun. I mean, it's not to me, even though I was saying negative things about it, mm-hmm. it's still just a, <laughs> it's still a fun movie. Let so, me assure you, listeners, I love the movie. <laughs> no, no, that is not what I was saying, Kyle. Uh, I do not love <laughs> love this movie, so don't quote me there. Okay, but uh, at the same time, there are a lot of Godzilla films that I would show before this one. So, but it's not like off limits or anything. Yeah. Okay. I would not show this to a kaiju newbie if you had not gathered that from what I was saying there. Basically, I don't think this movie, I, don't, I mean, I, I feel like I I have it firmly set in its bottom tier area of the Godzilla film franchise, and I've tried really hard to like this movie, and I've tried really hard to understand why this movie could be awesome, and it's just, it is what it is. And I'm going to just leave it at that. I wouldn't show this to a kaiju newbie. This is not one of the first 30 Godzilla films that I would show someone. Uh, so I would basically say, take that as you will. Uh, I'm much more interested in hearing what other people had to say, like the listeners. We only got a couple of homework submissions in, and we'll start with Mike Keller, who writes in to say... During the first part of 1976, the underground nuclear test took place on a small island in the Aleutians. The result? Stock footage. Mike Keller has come full circle on Godzilla vs. Megalon. He enjoyed it as a kid. He hated it as a 20-something because that was when he encountered other G-fans online for the first time and everyone told him he was supposed to hate it. Now that he actually thinks for himself and doesn't just say that without meaning it, he's back to liking it again. Something Mike notes is that the people who hate it are comprised almost entirely of tokusatsu Ega fans who have very little time for Terebi tokusatsu, uh, television tokusatsu, beyond maybe the occasional Ultraman episode. Hey, that's me, totally. Megalon was made at the height of the Henshin boom, and so of course it was taking inspiration from what was popular on television, specifically children's television. Mike has never met a common Rider fan, old school common Rider that is, that does not like Megalon or vice versa. Speaking of common Rider, the infamous punch, punch, punch! punch, punch, punch. Song is sung by Masato Shimon, the singer of the common Rider theme. He also sang the Gachaman and Kikaida themes and many other 70s tokusatsu and anime theme songs. And he's one of the few Japanese to rock an afro. Actually, Mike's first experience with Megalon was not pleasant. 
It was the only film in the franchise to premiere on the primetime network television at 8 p.m. Past his kindergarten bedtime, his parents wouldn't even consider bending the rules just that once. Wear CPS when you need them. One common complaint among serious kaiju connoisseurs is that the Godzilla suit in this film looks too cute. And damn them for saying that because it has never even occurred to Mike until he actually heard them say it. Actually, it only really appears cute when he sees it from head on. From the side, it looks alright, and the suit was well constructed, if nothing else. The cuteness was rectified in the next two Mechagodzilla films, and Mike will arm wrestle anyone who dares poop on this suit again. He likes it. For this viewing, he watched the Japanese version on the Media Blasters disc, then spot-checked some things on both his gray market pan-and-scan VHS of the American version and his somewhat less-than-legal subtitled VHS of the Japanese version, henceforth referred to as version X. He would like to watch both version X and the Media Blasters disc with someone fluent in Japanese because he suspects that neither translation is completely accurate. In fact, he knows the Media Blasters is wrong when Rokchan keeps referring to Goro as Goro in the subtitles when he's clearly saying Nichan or older brother. Version X gets this right, but then when the two adults discuss Lemuria and Mu, in version X it's stated that Mu is in the Pacific Ocean and Lemuria in the Indian, whereas the Media Blasters claims Lemuria is in the Pacific and Mu is in the Atlantic, which is the correct translation. Where is Mu? Mike would like it to be version X as that would square up with Atragon and he wouldn't have to construct some lame fan theory to explain away the discrepancy. The biggest difference in the American version are some carefully edited scenes that cut out the naked pinups displayed in the trucker's back seat. Thank Godzilla the American distributors got rid of these because we all know that American children's head explodes if they catch a glimpse of a bare boob. Another difference is that the night for day effect in the Japanese version is removed for much of the monster battle, making it appear that the entire melee happens during the daytime. During the four-way monster battle, people might take note of the one point where Megalon turns his backside to his opponents and smacks his rear end. This is a Japanese mannerism that essentially translates to kiss my butt. Toshiro Mifune does the same thing in Seven Samurai, and you can see it in a lot of anime and other films and TV shows. One odd visual faux pas has the three main characters evacuate their swank pad when Megalon draws closer, leaving the Cetopian agent to fall victim to a spare flying rock. Then suddenly, they're inside once more to welcome Jet Jaguar back. By the way, can Mike ask why Megalon needed Jet Jaguar to guide him to his destination? That's pretty lame. No other monster in Toho history required a seeing-eye robot. For that matter, Megalon was far more destructive after Jet Jaguar left him, causing havoc that looked almost exactly like the scenes of destruction from previous films. Hey. One more thing. What happened during the first underground nuclear test, and why did it require a do-over? Okay, so Mike doesn't love Megalon, at least not enough to marry it, but he might take it out for a nice steak dinner and promise to call it in a week. Space Godzilla, he wouldn't even hug unless it was hanging out with a hot movie friend that he wanted to impress. Adam says that the biggest problem with Megalon's plot is that it's too thin. However, this can be chalked up to the naturally formulaic nature of henshin hero shows. This was largely a factor in why the film didn't do so well in theaters in Japan, why pay for something you can see at home, the Cetopians aren't too convincing as villains either. Although sympathetic, the concept was pulled off much better in the classic Atragon. As for the acting, it's not memorable at all. No one really turns in an adequate performance, but the least Adam can do is give Jun Fukuda props for putting some effort into his stunt choreography early in the film. Wolf Oltsky is one of the more long-lasting actors here and even appeared as late as 2003 
in Bakryu Sentai Abaranger. His stunts are fairly well done, thanks in part to the filming methods used by choreographer Yuzu Aizawa. Back to the film now, as for the two lead actors, their performances are completely boring. What is the relationship between Goro and Hiroshi? Are they friends? Cousins? This film just throws these characters in with little exposition. Adam believes effects fare fairly better. Although much of the destruction sequences are stock footage from previous films, the newly filmed damn destruction sequence is an impressive feat. Teruyushi Nakano has always said he takes extra care with fire and water, and it shows. However, it's not nearly as impressive as his work for Submersion of Japan. The battle sequences are nicely filmed and choreographed, and it's a real shame there wasn't a bigger budget to work with. The effects are a highlight of the film, but that isn't saying much considering what's come before. Finally, we go to a love-it-or-hate-it topic, Richiro Manabe's score. Adam personally finds the military themes very intriguing. One sounds very formidable and could be put to a force of invading aliens with much the same effect. The other sounds almost like a parody of the famous Dragnet March, especially when Megalon destroys the Mazer tanks. It plays rather dullish. Adam also likes the theme song of the film, Godzilla and Jet Jaguar, Punch Punch Punch, sung by one of his personal favorites, Masato Shimon. Bringing his usual energy into the theme, it's actually quite nicely composed. One aspect Adam disliked in the infamous Godzilla theme. Played rather comically on the trumpet, it's not very fun to listen to. Overall, Adam thinks this score is a nice break from the famous Akira Ifukube themes. Final thoughts, he feels this film isn't as bad as people say it is. He finds it rather enjoyable, like the average Ultraman, Sentai, or Kamen Rider episode. However, the plot and acting, not to mention the overuse of stock footage, make this film not that great in comparison to the other films in the series. And there you have it, our Daikaiju rediscussions for Godzilla vs. Megalon. Only two submissions, but those are great. Thanks, guys. What are we going to be watching next month, you're probably asking yourself. Well, uh, you get the month off. No Daikaiju discussion homework for December. What we're actually thinking is that uh, one of our last ones will be the next Godzilla anime, which we're kind of hoping is going to be premiering on Netflix and available for everybody in January. So we'll see how that goes. Plus, you guys have to start mentally getting ready for the annual emergency broadcast, which will also be happening, I think, in January, sort of a 10th anniversary celebration. Now, if you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, please point your web browser to KaijuCast.com, where you can see everything that we're about. Hey, why not subscribe to the KaijuCast? It's super simple, and it automatically delivers the newest episodes directly to your podcatcher. You may have heard me mention show notes while we were recording this episode. Please check out KaijuCast.com and specifically the show notes for this episode so you can see all of the awesome stuff that we link to regarding Godzilla vs. Megalon. Such a bizarre film. A bizarre film with a bizarre soundtrack, but let's not end this episode with a bizarre song. Let's end it with something awesome. I want to hear Defeat Megalon by Masato Shimon. We will see you for the next episode. Jamata. You Let's
Jump up, party! 